This is part number two, continuation. Hebrews 9, 9, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So we have the scripture for our learning. We have it that through patience and comfort of it, we can have hope. We have it that through the scriptures, it presented us, just as it did them, a figure of how things were done or how things were represented. And then, of course, now that Christ has come, how these things now apply to us. Hebrews 11:19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, speaking about Isaac when he was going to be sacrificed before the Lord, from whence also he received him in a figure. And here we have already the gospel being preached to Abraham that just as God was able to raise up Isaac, had he been sacrificed, had he been burnt completely and consumed, that out of those ashes, God would have raised him. Of course, God would have never done that. He would have never permitted that. But he saw that man's heart, especially Abraham, was capable of giving up that which he loved and had as beloved before him as much as he loved him, was able to offer his son, his only son, then God in turn shows us that he also is willing and was willing to offer his son, his only son, for us. In Hebrews 10, 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come. Notice, it only had a shadow. A shadow doesn't do much but give you shade. Not a whole lot of comfort in that, but nonetheless, it had a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comer thereunto perfect. But the sacrifice of Jesus is very different. He does make the one that comes to him perfect. He does affect his conscience. He affects his heart. He affects his mind. He affects, he affects his entire life, transforming him and changing him. A new man is developed. A new man is born again. Looking at the scripture now, at Hebrews 8, 5, once again talking about those things that are examples and shadows and types, who served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, he saith, that thou make it according to the pattern that was showed thee in the mount. So even the making of the tabernacle was to follow a very precise and exact pattern because it represented things in the heavenlies, things in the spiritual realm that were the realities of these things that they were practicing, which were simply a shadow. To them it was a real thing, but it was a shadow compared to what Christ was going to do when he came and what he was going to accomplish. And then we have in Colossians chapter 2 verse 17, it says, Which are a shadow of things to come, 
but the body is of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now these things happened unto them for an example. See, it's good to learn from examples. And they are written for our admonishment. Now, we've, we've read quite a number of scriptures concerning the scriptures, the Old Testament, and each one has something good to say about them. Whether we're comforted, whether we have hope, whether we learn from these things, these things are given to us as examples. They're written for our admonition, for our correction, upon whom the ends of the world are to come. Now, having read those scriptures, having looked at what the scripture has to say concerning shadows and types and examples and figures and patterns, let's now actually look at the patterns and the figures and the types and the shadows of the sprinkling of the blood seven times. Seven different places where that blood was shed. And the blood of Jesus was shed. First, I'm going to just simply uh, read them out, not necessarily in this order, but this is uh, how we're going to just read them. His blood was shed upon his head when the crown of thorns was put upon him. Number two, his back when it was scourged, it, 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 when it was whipped. Number three, on his left hand when he was crucified, on his right hand when he was crucified. On his left foot, number five, when he was crucified. Number six, on his right foot when he was crucified. Or we could actually use the word heel. He was crucified on the heel. Or the, the nail went right through the heel bone. And then, <clears throat> if we were to identify each one of these and begin to look at the shadows and the types and the representation of these things, all of a sudden, we begin to see the wonderful work that Christ accomplished on the cross. His work is a comprehensive work, an accomplishing work, a powerful work, a redemptive work, one that covered every possible facet of the spirit of man, the soul of man, the physical body of man. It was not just for our sins that he died, but it was to make us complete and whole. Make us whole in our spirit, in our soul, and in our body. And we'll look at these shadows and types and see how they begin to show up and what part they play in the life of the believer and how that redemptive work of Jesus applies to you and I today as Christian believers. And as we're taught by the scripture and by the spirit of God himself, we begin to see how these things can be applied on a daily basis to our lives. And as I said before at the beginning, this is not going to be comprehensive where we cover every possible, but I'm going to just mention as much as I can without taking up too much time, but yet covering enough material. On his head, the crown. Let's talk about that crown of thorns that was upon his head. Especially when we talk about thorns, it could have been anything from green thorns to dry thorns that were formed. It could have been anything from a, from a, a couple of uh, maybe a half an inch to as large as two inch thorns 
the reason I make mention of this is simply because there are at least 22 different varieties of thorns or words used uh, for the word, word thorns in the, from the book of Genesis onward. Their meanings varying, but we want to look at some of the things that they represent. So in Matthew 27, verse 29, the scripture says, And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Now this is what they did. And in verse uh, the, the next, and, and the next <clears throat> Matthew uh, chapter 27, verse 30, and they spat upon him, and they took the reed, and they hit him on the head. Now, can you imagine driving those thorns into his head every time they hit him with that reed? Yet he willingly went to the cross, went and suffered for us, knowing what he was going to have to go through, willingly wanting to lay down his life because he counted us, as worth saving, putting a price of his blood to pay for our redemption. He looked at you and he looked at me, and for the joy that was set before him, he not only said, I'll go, I'll gladly go, I'll pay the price willingly, and he did that. There's many other things that we could mention concerning that. Uh, the, the Jews that mocked him, the Romans that mocked him, the people that said, Hail the King of the Jews. One day they will bow before Jesus, and they will say that Jesus is Lord. And the mocking will no longer be a mocking, but it'll be a reality. But for many, it'll be way too late, especially for these men that were involved in everything that they did to Jesus. But today, we have people that have not heard and have heard the gospel and have rejected it. Not realizing they too one day, they mock him now, but one day they will say hail, hail King Jesus, because he is Lord and he is King. And they will one day bow the knee. According to the scripture in Philippians in chapter 2, Every tongue is going to confess. Every knee is going to bow. And they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is no getting around that. The crown of thorns that was on the head of Jesus represents <clears throat> and can represent the battle for the mind in our lives. It can represent the battle which takes for us, the conscience, the battle which is for the imagination, the battle which is for our, our thinking and reasoning processes, for our will. There are things that take place in the mind that we are not fully capable of understanding. I know we have psychologists and psychiatrists and all these things, but you know, they are limited. They really are. They really do think they do know it all. But they are limited. God is the only one that knows how he created man. He understands the mind, the conscience, the imagination, the will, and the heart of man more than anybody else does. And not only does he understand it, he knows the intentions. He knows the imaginations of the thoughts, the reasoning that man has. 
He's fully aware of this. And that crown on Christ's head does represent the battle for the mind and everything else that consists and is involved in it, which we will be talking about in due time. That'll be an entire section that we will be covering. The crown of thorns can also represent the thorn in the flesh, like Paul uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn. Notice, in the flesh. The messenger, the word there, messenger, is the word angelo, or the word angel of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So this thorn was not in his head, like the thorns that were placed on Christ, but this is a thorn that Paul had in his flesh. It was basically a devil, an, an angel, a, a, a fallen angel, that would go about stirring trouble every city, every place where Paul went. And basically, I mean, everything from Paul being stoned, being beaten, and being left for dead, this messenger was responsible for the uprisings and for rioting the people against him. So we can see this thorn represents something much more different. Then we have the thorns that are mentioned in the parables of the sower sows a seed. Uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, and in the book of Luke, the book of Mark. Notice closely, as I read these scriptures, how these thorns affect the word of God that is heard in the life of an individual, as much as a believer and or a non-believer. And here you will see that these things are actually considered and called thorns. In chapter 13 of the book of Matthew, verse 22, he also that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, take heed to how you hear, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Did you notice that? The enemy comes after the word, just like he came after Paul, and just like he comes after our mind. The scripture says in Mark 4, 18, And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, if you'll notice this, <clears throat> the deceitfulness of riches... And the lust of other things entering in choked the word. Each one of the writers of the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke bring out something new to add to how those thorns affect our lives. And it says, <clears throat> and they become unfruitful. Luke 8.14 and that they which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So, these thorns are very different because these are the things that are in this world that try to get into our hearts 
and try to get into our minds and try to get into our lives in the flesh. And when they do, they become thorns so that they prohibit or inhibit our possibility of being able to produce and bring something to perfection. But the scripture also says in Jeremiah 4.3, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your foul ground, and sow not among the thorns. At this point, please continue the message to part number three.